Hi, and welcome to the HeartSeed Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Noah Goldstein. We're talking to inspiring people about heart-opening, soul-enlivening, body-enhancing practices intended to help us cultivate health and enhance our lives. You can find out more about HeartSeed Health at heartseedhealth.com, where you can also download a free guide for emotional resilience. The seeds we sow must break open in order to grow. Shed their skin, allow light to breathe in. Shed their skin. Today we're talking with Thad Fry, who has been in the counseling field for over 17 years. He earned his BA in psychology with a minor in religious studies from the University of Colorado at Boulder and earned his master's of science in social work from the University of Texas at Austin. He's a licensed clinical social worker and certified brain spotting practitioner. He's completed the phase one, two, and the master class with Dr. David Grand and the brain spotting intensive with Dr. Pai Fry. Thad is a proud board member of the Rocky Mountain Brain Spotting Institute, a nonprofit organization that was created to promote and advance the use of brain spotting and to raise money for a scholarship fund to assist local clients dealing with trauma to get brain spotting therapy. Uh, the RMBI's founder is the amazing Dr. Pai Fry, and she's been a trainer and important influence on the lives of thousands of brain spotting therapists across the U.S. Thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Awesome. So um, we'll start kind of in our typical way of yeah. just hearing a little bit about um, how you came into the field of social work okay. and therapy and counseling, and then how you got into brain spotting. Great. Well, I often like to talk about uh, kind of noticing that I wanted to be a counselor before I knew exactly what a counselor was. Mm. Um, we're sitting here in beautiful, snowy Boulder, Colorado, uh, and I was actually born and raised here. Uh, so I remember being in elementary school, I think in third grade, and uh, there was two kids getting in a fight. And I remember kind of stepping in the middle of it and trying to back them down and try to break it up. Uh, and afterwards, one of my friends said something to the effect of, you know, maybe you should be a, a counselor or a therapist. I don't remember what the word was that, that he used, but we both didn't, we had a vague idea of what that was, but it kind of resonated with me and it, and it felt like something that would stick. Uh, both my parents were in the medical field. My uh, father was a dentist and my mother was an RN. Uh, so it definitely was something that was part of our, our family system. Um, and then, yeah, I went to CU. I knew right away that I wanted to go into psychology. Uh, and I also knew I was gonna have to go on to get a master's degree. And so mm. wanted to stay local, uh, be here in Colorado for my undergrad, but I uh, was lucky enough to move to Austin, Texas for a while and uh, got to go to school out there. Um, and then I started working in hospice. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, while I was out doing my internship uh, in Austin, I worked for a, a tiny hospice, nonprofit hospice in Austin that worked with uh, people that were HIV positive. Wow. And I loved it. It was great. It felt like I was part of their family. Uh, did a lot of hands-on work, 
got to do a lot of impromptu counseling, which mm. I really loved. Um, and so I kind of knew that was part of my path was mm -hmm. working with death and dying. Uh, and uh, currently I do a lot of grief counseling in, in my private practice, but I worked in hospice for, um, let's see, almost 16 years, wow. uh, mainly working with families after their loved ones passed. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of groups, individual counseling, uh, some couples counseling, some family counseling. Uh, but that was that was my path as far as uh, therapy went. And then I started a small private practice uh, on the side uh, about five years ago and then noticed that I was working too much. And I mm -hmm. have a family and two small kids and, mm -hmm. and decided I needed to make a shift. So I jumped over into private practice about six months ago. Great. Yeah. Wow. And... Um... Just wonder. I mean, my. Well, I think when we first connected, we we. I mentioned that my dad worked um, with hospice for yes. a, a long time, and I'm just curious um, if there's anything else about that experience, like if you were surprised to be mm. in that field and what it, what it was like for you. Sure, and... sure. I mean, gosh, hospice is is a wonderful. Uh, organization, obviously not one uh, group, but individual organizations. And I actually remember uh, my parents would get dressed up once a year. Uh, my dad would uh, rent a tux and my mom would, you know, put on her finest dress and they would go to a fundraiser. I didn't even know what it was, uh, but I came to find out later it was a fundraiser for the hospice that I later worked at for oh, 10 years. Wow. So it's kind of a really cool connection there. Um, and so, yeah, my mom had wanted to be in RN working for hospice, uh, but she uh, couldn't drive at night. Uh, so mm -hmm. she took that off the list mm -hmm. just because uh, she didn't want to uh, be doing that. But I got the opportunity often for at least a year or two years to work with client or work with patients directly as they were uh, dying and getting to know them. Uh, and I could tell you a story after story of the different realizations you come to when you get to watch people be with them at that time, be with their families, uh, have people open up to you, um, talk about a lot of regrets, obviously, mm -hmm. talk to you about the things that they're proud of. I mean, right. uh, one of the, I was mainly at two hospices in that, uh, that those many years, and I helped start with a volunteer program at Hospice of St. John, which is no longer uh, here. Uh, but we started with the volunteer program to have uh, our volunteers go out to the uh, patients if they wanted to and re record their life history. Wow. And uh, we would borrow scripts from NPR has a, I can't remember the name of it right now, but they have this wonderful thing that, that grandparent grandkids ask grandparents and they have all these life questions and so it's we, called story core you got it exactly story core so we would borrow those scripts from them and hand them to our volunteers and sometimes have families do it with their loved ones and i mean if you want to sit down and cry uh, that's a good <laughs> that's a good good way to do it and uh and then i had a lot of um uh deaths in my family so yeah. that definitely those uh, mainly came after I was already working in hospice, but I have an older brother uh, here locally I'm very close with, uh, but we had, or still do, but uh, had a younger sister who was five years younger mm. uh, and passed away from uh, neuroblastoma, a rare mm -hmm. adrenal cancer, and we were very close. And um, although she wasn't on hospice, I think 
that let me know at 21 uh, that life is not forever, even though all my peers uh, were still in that mindset. Uh, and then my parents passed away about a year apart from one another uh, while I was living in Austin and working for a hospice. So I actually took some time away for about six months, moved back to Colorado, uh, and took some time just to do self-care yeah. uh, and figure out what the heck I wanted to do. Yeah. And I allowed myself to jump back into hospice. So I'm, I'm glad I did. I loved it. Uh, I got to work for the local hospice here in Boulder called True. Uh, and, uh, I worked at sometimes at the care center where my mother actually passed away. Wow. So, so I felt like I got to kind of honor her and many mm. other people in our local community. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Um, and you've, you sounds like you really into this brain spotting. Yes. Um, and I'm really excited to, yeah. to, help our listeners learn more about what it is and how it works and um, what it's useful for because yeah, it's a modality that is not, is not that well known or not as well known as it could be. Uh, You're, you're very right. So again, I'm excited to be able to talk about it. Um, It's something that uh, as I've said before, we go to a dinner party my wife is like you can stop talking about brain spotting <laughs> so uh so i definitely like to talk about it that's for sure um so about four or five years ago uh, i was working with somebody at hospice and there uh, i was just talking to her she was a therapist i adore her uh, and i was just asking her about different modalities that she had liked using with clients that she had found helpful so we were talking about all sorts of different ones and she had talked about a uh, very close personal uh, death that had happened somewhat recently in her family and how she had gone and seen uh, several therapists around different specialties they had. And she said the only one that helped move the needle for her finding hope in her life and for getting her to reinvest after this major loss had been brain spotting. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about it at that point. Um, and so I looked it up and there was a local training coming up in a couple months here in Boulder. Boulder is a pretty big hub for it. And uh, the lady that was uh, teaching the class was Dr. Pi Fry. And although it's spelled differently, I, I took that as a sign I might want to jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went there. It was a three-day training. Uh, and I had not been nearly as used to somatic therapy. So mm-hmm. I'd obviously known about EMDR uh, somatic experiencing with Peter Levine and I liked the idea, but I hadn't had all that much experience with it. So to go to this three day training where we learned a lot about, uh, neurology, uh, and then, um, to actually watch the therapist work with the client and then jump right in with mm-hmm. the other therapist in the room and, and start to utilize it. I was intimidated, uh, to be honest, right at first. And then I allowed myself to be present with it. Uh, started to feel somatically different while I was processing. I uh, went home, told my wife after the first day, I said, I think this might be something I'm really interested in. Yeah. And, and it has definitely come in that direction. So I've done, I won't bore you with it, but I've done a lot of trainings. Uh, quite enjoyed that, gotten to know a lot of people in the community. Uh, so yeah, I, I found it to be very helpful. Um, and you'd said 
what is it helpful with? Um, Before you do oh, that, sure, I just want to just jump in for please. any of the listeners who are unfamiliar with the term somatic or oh. what it means to have a somatic ther- therapy or somatic psychotherapy. Sure. I imagine that most people listening to this podcast at this point yeah. may have already learned that, but um, this somatic means, you know, body based. Yes. And, um, and the idea is that a lot of our nervous system and a lot of our experiences are actually stored in inner bodies yes. and that using the body as um as a gateway to um better understand ourselves our experiences mm-hmm. um is really powerful it it helps us tap into the subconscious yes. in a way that we don't necessarily have access to otherwise and so there's a lot of focus on sensations mm-hmm. um you know, whether it's a, a an external sensation of, of tingling on the skin or whether it's an internal sensation like tightness in the chest or heaviness in the belly. And so that Great. just to give some context. Great. Um, but yeah, so um, so let's go into what like brain spotting is often used for. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification because that's all all right. Um, so it, uh, I think so Dr. David Grand is the one who uh, discovered brain spotting. He had been an EMDR therapist, an EMDR trainer, had r- written a book on it. Uh, and so he talks about basically if you, if you have a nervous system that's working, uh, then you can utilize brain spotting, mm. kind of jokingly. So uh, I use utilize it a lot for trauma work. Uh, I use it a lot actually for sports performance, uh, people that are writers uh, that have blocks. Uh, I quite enjoy that. Uh, but obviously grief and loss is a big one. Mm-hmm. Anxiety and depression, I've had a lot of good luck with that. Uh, so I use it for a lot of stuff. Uh, as we talk about in different trainings, you should have good background and knowledge in whatever you're treating people with, right? right? And so this is a modality. It is a wonderful tool. And, of course, you need to be trained in in what you're working with. But, my gosh, it is pretty darn universal because, as you spoke to uh, in talking about the somatic part of the therapy, we're working with the subconscious mind. And so allowing somebody to kind of let their prefrontal cortex, that thinking part of our brain, that most evolved part of our brain, where, you know, people will come in and say, well, I've thought about it in, you know, 90 different ways and I still can't figure it out. And I still have this feeling around it. I'm not sure why I can't motivate or why I can't feel this. That's usually the language I know that I can definitely jump in Mm. and say, well, let's look at it from a different angle and allow yourself to kind of put, you know, I kind of joke, let's take your prefrontal cortex and set it down on the the (laughs) table for 40 minutes and let's allow you just to be with that limbic mammalian part of your brain where your amygdala is, that fight, flight, or freeze that talks to the hippocampus. The hippocampus is the part of your brain that pulls up all those memories. So Mm -hmm. if there's a memory where you were really scared, or I'll use this one, a lot of people have negative self-talk. So you might be saying bad stuff about yourself, right? We all have some dialogue like that. But then your hippocampus is trying to help your amygdala out and go, oh, I can pull up all these other memories where you didn't do this correctly or you messed this up. 
And so it can feel like you ruminate on things because you do. And so allowing yourself to be with that subconscious material, Mm -hmm. feel it in your body, Mm -hmm. let it move through your body. Mm -hmm. And then often, sometimes I've had it where people truly feel like it's extinguished. Mm -hmm. Uh, The memory's not gone and the memory might still be unpleasant that we worked with, but it doesn't have that same physiological feeling. The charge. Yeah. They don't have the charge like they did when they walked in the room and they could feel it as soon as they talked about it. And there's a way just going back to that idea of taking the the prefrontal cortex of the thinking part of the brain there's a way in which thinking about our lives, our feelings, our experiences is is actually an avoidance technique mm, that, like that. Um, often, especially yeah. men use, yes. where rather than allowing ourselves to actually yeah. feel an experience or feel the feelings that come along with a memory or we can, we can think about it. And I, I remember becoming aware of this myself. I would, I would, it, it was really easy for me to say, oh, I, I, I feel really angry and I'm yeah, thi- and, right, and to think right. about how I was angry and why yeah. I was angry. And but then when it came to actually like really feeling the anger sure. and letting it flow yep. through my being and it's really powerful and uncomfortable yes. in a way um, and can even be frightening. And so, um, yeah, so that's the that's the power of of quieting or, you know, setting aside mm-hmm that sort of mode of relating of being and and so and in brain spotting you use sound yes music mm-hmm. in a bilateral stimulation kind of way right so the, you got it the music is going from one ear to the other so why don't you speak yes. a little bit more to that please I'll, I'll kind of tell you what a setup looks like when you walk into a room so um if you've already talked with your therapist and, and gotten ready for it, I'll have where I have the CD player and the CDs already going. Somebody walks in, they throw on the headphones right away. And so like you spoke to, it's bilateral and it's usually hand mixed. Uh, there's a, a wonderful uh, practitioner, brain spotting practitioner, uh, Cindy Smith out here that works with a musician. They have a, a bunch of CDs under Bodhi tree and they're great and I use them a lot. Uh, David Grant has some as well but basically it is going from your left ear to your right ear. It's hand mixed like I said that way you know it might be kind of more in your right ear for about six seconds and then it goes eight seconds into the other ear. It never matches up so that your brain gets used to it because your brain's always looking for patterns Mm -hmm. so it wants you just to be calm. So I usually tell people it's there, it's nature sounds, a little bit of music. It's usually calming for the amygdala usually wakes up both hemispheres of the brain like we do during deep REM sleep when we have dreams, right? And that's subconscious material that you work with. And here we get to be awake and be specific about what you want to address, a memory, a feeling that you want to work with, which is pretty cool. So people will throw on those headphones, listen to that. Then, then I'll ask them, okay, what do you want to work on? And what I like about it, if we're working with trauma, I'm not there to re-traumatize somebody. So they don't need to tell me very much. I've had people tell me one or two sentences sometimes after I've already had a a relationship with them and and I know how to resource them. But they don't need to go into great detail. They Mm -hmm. often tell them you can just be on the outside door of the trauma, but enough Mm -hmm. so that you can feel it in your body. So the next part is just that. I'll say, okay, when you think about that issue, 
where do you feel that in your body? And I kind of normalize that it can be anywhere in the body, but it often is in the core. It's usually in the stomach, the heart, the chest, the throat, uh, but people feel it in their extremities. Um, and then I'll ask them, okay, let's say it's in their chest. And I'll say, okay, on a subjective unit of distress, a sud scale, for you, from a scale of zero to 10, zero meaning I'm doing totally fine, why are we talking about this? And a 10 feels like there's an elephant on my chest and I wanna run out of this room. And whatever answer they give is fine. Just lets me know where they are and lets them know where they are when we start. Mm -hmm. And so people will say often, I don't know, five, six, somewhere in that. And I say, great, okay. So just be with that feeling in your chest right now be with that, that, that memory you have. You don't have to hold on to it, but just be with it. And then I use literally a teacher's pointer, a extendable pointer, and I have them look in different areas in the room to their left, to the center, to their right, and just notice, does that feeling become more agitated? Do they feel relief when they look in one direction or another? Because one of the key phrases in brain spotting is where you look affects how you feel. Mm. And so often, most of the time, somebody who even might be like, that sounds really weird. Right. And it can. I totally get it. But they'll go, my gosh, when I look to my right, I feel like I can breathe a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. So depending on what we're working with, we call that a resource spot because they're feeling more resourced looking uh -huh. in that direction. Uh -huh. So if we're working with a major trauma, all I'm going to do is extend the pointer on that side. I'm going to go across their field of vision looking for reflexes. And what we know is that those reflexes are cueing me into when you notice that feeling in your body, when you're anchored with that and you're thinking about this memory, that in your brain, it is telling me, okay, we got something here. Uh -huh. There's something here that we need to work on. And so it's usually multiple blinks, people chew, they might swallow, their hand moves. So it's some reflex that I notice and then I'll stop there. And what's really cool about this therapy is as the therapist, I just follow a client. I'm rather quiet uh -huh. while they process, that's yep. what we call it. And I tell people, you can talk the whole time while you're looking at the silly pointer and, and, and tell me what you're noticing in your body, any thoughts, any realizations, uh, any feelings, feel free to talk the whole time and you can just look at the silly pointer. Or you can be rather quiet, but check in around when you notice that feeling in your chest, all of a sudden, I don't know, I feel like my feet feel tingly or they feel like they're you know, uh, on fire. I've heard it's fascinating. People's bodies really process it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Or I have about a third of people that are completely silent mm. and pretty still. Maybe mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be noticing something that their muscle in their face moves or something. And I tell them that all I'm going to ask you occasionally is, what do you notice in your body right now? Because mm -hmm. I'm not trying to knock them back up to their thinking right. brain. Right. So I'm right there with them. I'm holding attunement with them. Yeah. I'm allowing them to do whatever they need to do. We don't use the word safe very often, but trying to build a place where they feel like they could really process in any way they can. Mm. So that's the basic setup. So they, they get to be with that material. I'm not going to ask them a bunch of questions about anything that comes up. Right. We might talk about it afterwards. Uh -huh. And after they take off the headphones, then we can really kind of integrate anything yeah. that came up. Yeah. I can normalize it for them, mm -hmm. let them know that they're going to be processing for a while after. Right. 
Um, and a lot of questions obviously <laughs> come up, especially that first time, because yeah. people will talk about feeling sleepy or more alive. Like they've all of a sudden have had this feeling, kind of this weight off their chest. Um, but it's also a brain workout. It really right. can be for a lot of people where they'll notice it, where they'll sleep like a baby that night, or sometimes they have a hard time sleeping just mm -hmm. because they're still processing whatever deep uh, issue we were working on. That's, yeah, I mean, that's so interesting because, and we spoke a little bit about this kind of before we started recording, but um, in a lot of ways, I the, the work that I do with people often incorporates a lot of these same elements, and there's a way in which, you know, I'm using acupuncture and the needles um, and craniosacral therapy as, as the bilateral stem music yeah, to get yeah. people out of that out of that prefrontal cortex and into the subconscious yes and and again holding space yep. for what is there to emerge and um and allowing that processing to happen in a way that's that's supported and yeah. and um and so it was kind of fun for me the first time hearing you kind of speak through this and be like oh okay this is like there's yeah. a lot of similarities, of similarities yeah. there and and it's neat to both know about all the resources out there for everyone and um just to see these like common threads and common yeah. you know that go through um these different modalities yeah and and as we spoke to prior as well it's wonderful that there are these modalities that allow us not to feel like we're just a brain kind mm. of walking through the world right we get to actually be in connection and for a time not be of the mindset that we have to think through everything. Of course, it's lovely that we can, right? right. <laughs> but to allow ourselves to go, okay, there's a lot of subconscious material or I do have a body. And like you spoke to earlier, so that, that feeling, that anxiety that I have in my stomach, that instead of trying to do something to comfort myself or go away from that feeling that could even be maladaptive and could become a behavior and you know all the different things that could happen what's it like just to be with it and mm -hmm. again with a therapist or with some an acupuncturist with somebody to be able to hold that for you and work with you but to instead of trying to escape feelings right. which is totally normal but allowing ourselves just to be with them and see what's there. And often, again, in both modalities, allow it to change, morph, mm -hmm. uh, or go down at least. I often talk to people about, you know, being on a on a on a scale. So, okay, so it was used to be at an eight out of ten. And yeah, you still have a nervous system, so of course you have anxiety, but now it's at a three. Right. And that's a lot more workable in right. our lives to know that, okay, yeah, I can I can be with a three and be okay. Or we can even do more work. So right. yeah. Well and what does um, what does the experience of anxiety, how does the experience of feeling anxiety change when it's at the sort of intensity level of, of an eight yes. versus when it's down at the intensity level of an eight? And if I really feel into this anxiety when it's only a three, doesn't that feel a lot like excitement? Yes. Right? Maybe yes. that maybe I've been 
thinking about or relating to this experience in a way that's not serving me. And yeah. maybe if I, if, if now that we've turned the volume down on it, yep. it's, it's like you're listening to music mm-hmm. and if it's super loud and you know, you might not like that music so much, but when <laughs> sure. you turn it down, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is really nice. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. this is, you yeah. know, fun yeah. or interesting yeah. or, you, you can, yeah. you can hear more nuance. Right. Exactly. And, and, and that, that's true. Like you said, that way, we can even add the more cognitive pieces and like you said, be able to reframe things and right. look at them from different angles. But if something's a 10 out of 10 right. and you can't, there is no respite from that, right? Yeah. And so then it's just people saying, I can't deal with this. Right. I can't do this, right? right? This is overwhelming. So like you said, if we can take it down to a place where people have an opportunity to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even... Um, just like ex- experience it. And I think, you know, we, again, talked a little bit before this and um, around how in our culture today, in the, in the world today, yeah. the, the, we're not really equipped as, as children, as adolescents, even, even as young adults, even as yeah. to, um, to experience emotions um especially men i think i think you see it across the board especially when there's a um intense childhood experience or intense experience at any age that that makes feeling feelings um not not pleasant not safe not comfortable right and um and so it's really a blessing that a, there are these modalities in in the world yeah. that um, support people on their journey and in their process towards experiencing emotions, experiencing feelings, mm-hmm. um, in- increasing their their breadth of access to information because right. that's really what emotions are. I like that. Um, and then, and then B, that like these modalities are becoming like more. Oh, there's more awareness around them. Yes. There's more availability, more right. accessibility, and um, and people are starting to say, "Oh, oh, you should have you tried Brain's body right. for that?" And right. so, um, yeah, I wanted to to um, to take that somewhere, and my mind is honestly, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll pick it up because uh, when we uh, talk about stuff, I think that's uh, it. It allows me to think about how. I'm always learning in, mm. in any therapy, right? And so I know that the modality is not going to work for everybody because for some people, it's just not the right time or right place. But I also have learned that obviously, sometimes just as you spoke to a minute ago, that word's safe, right? It's not safe to feel my feelings. Well, if I was in an abusive, neglectful home growing up especially, and I'm generalizing, but then feeling my feelings well i was trying to just blend into the wall and not be noticed so i can't feel my feelings if i showed anger or if i showed sadness then that could be unsafe right and so some people get that imprinted from a really early age and so with some folks i just noticed that i need to go very slowly I need to resource them and and brain spotting has a wonderful resource part to it that we can help them find an area like I talked to prior that they actually feel a little bit better mm-hmm. looking in a direction. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has that a major trauma, that's where we're going to start. Mm-hmm. So we might go a tiny bit slower through the process, but we get there and it's easier for people to access and I'll back it up even more. 
then I'll work with some folks and we just work on, well, what is a feeling and what is it like to be once I have worked with them and we've built rapport and they feel more comfortable, then I talk to them about what do they notice in their body when this happens or that happens. And we really start from a pretty early place and just say, all right, let's explore this because it can sound, well, we all know what sadness is or we all know what anger is, but not really and not specific to them. Right. And so I do a lot of psychoeducation with my clients when I'm noticing that they're not ready to jump in the deep end of the pool and they're not, they don't have to. And so we can definitely ease them into this and allow them to know that it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be, we're going towards healing. Their brain and body want to heal. That's mm-hmm. what I love about this modality. Right. I love that the the brain and body want to heal. And that's, that's the truth. And healing, I think, is um, almost, a, you know, a synonym for healing is integration, yes. right? And creating that, th- those bridges between the parts of ourselves that are, um, locked away mm-hmm. or yep. or parceled off for some reason or another yep. and creating that connectivity between our thinking mind and our, and our, and our thinking self and our feeling self yep. and our childhood self and our adult self, yes. all these different kind of pieces of the puzzle. What, what happens when our mind, mm-hmm. when our thinking, when our feeling, when our you know, and our sensations like are all connected, and um, and and I think that that that's something. I mean, Daniel Siegel yes um, talks a lot about this, and and he's written some amazing books yes. like Mindsight and more recently Aware yeah. that really really dive deep into these ideas. Um, but yeah, ultimately, and you talked about integrating after a session. Yes. So you have these experiences mm-hmm. and and the brain spotting or in your case or the acupuncture yep. in, in yep. my case is helping people just stay present with the experience yes. um, on a very sensorial, experiential mm. level. Yep. And then, like you said, after the fact, you can step back yes. and then take that experience that you were really present with and let your conscious mind integrate it into its right. framework and yes. its understanding of the world. And, um, and that's a whole like another stage of the process. I totally agree. And, and I think that's a huge part. A lot of people will have, you know, sometimes it's so new to them and so different that it can be amazing and mind blowing. And I have people that smile and say, like I said, that 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 feeling's been lifted off their chest. And then I have other people that it's it, it's some hard work. It's heavy lifting, right? And and so afterwards, it's important to be able to talk to them to allow themselves to go, okay, what the heck just happened there? And so. I, it's interesting that most of the time I'll, I'll tell people, you know, you can email me the next day after the first session just to say, what are they noticing? If anything, right? They they might not have had some big thing happen over the last 24 hours, but some people continue to process. And I don't want them to be like, well, gosh, that was a 
an interesting experience, but it might have scared me or that might have been so different from what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So I tell them, just let me know. I'm probably going to normalize it for you. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But just do that for me. And then I also have the people that will have these big experiences and they'll have epiphanies. They might talk about different things that they go, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that. Or I'm, I'm looking through a uh, viewpoint of my childhood self. I mean, just these beautiful things. And then they take off the headphones and their prefrontal cortex comes back online and they'll start to doubt what they just experienced. Uh-huh. And so for those folks, I say, totally. Like, if you need to doubt it or you can allow yourself, but I want you just to, you know, when you go home tonight, when you're sitting there or going on a walk is even better because it's bilateral stimulation as well. Think about what you just experienced and just allow it. Be curious, just like you were being Mm -hmm. curious in the room. And a lot of people will come back and say, great, let's jump in. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, you know, there's more and more studies coming out about brain spotting, but we're about 15 years younger than EMDR. So Uh EMDR has been well studied, well evidence-based, and we are definitely behind them. But again, we're about half the age. And so there's a lot of studies going on out there, but then I'll send people studies and say, hey, look this over so that that I don't want to talk you into anything. I just want you to allow yourself the opportunity Mm -hmm. to experience and you take it from there. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, and that's really, I appreciate that. So just briefly, because we are kind of starting to wrap things up. I'm curious, you know, we've mentioned EMDR a couple of times. It sounds like there are some similarities, some overlaps and probably some differences. So maybe just if there's someone out there listening, who's like, well, how do I know whether I should do EMDR or brain spotting or what's the, what's the actual difference or. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm not an expert on EMDR. So for those therapists out there, and there's many, uh, please, I apologize if I missed uh, speak, but um, basically David Grand was, like I said, was an EMDR therapist, a trainer, wrote a book on it. He basically slowed it down. Uh, and that's what actually helped him to find a point uh, to stop at a specific mm. spot. And he was working with a ice skater and had been doing 90 minute sessions for a year with her and done really good work. Um, her parents divorced. There was some, uh, her mother, there was some motherhood neglect. But she, he noticed when he was going across her field of vision, because the, the, they used to go uh, move their finger back left to right and have people look at their finger while they're uh, going through whatever trauma history they were going through, she, he stopped. He felt like he saw her eyes wobble and he stopped. And she processed for another 10, 20 minutes about stuff that she'd never talked about before. Mm. Um, and it was a, he was like, my gosh, I stumbled onto something there. Mm-hmm. So he started to kind of integrate that in more and talk to uh, other therapists and and that's kind of where it came from Uh, so with EMDR I think one of the major differences and there's a lot of similarities they have bilateral stimulation Uh, often it is through tapping of the body it can be through watching somebody's fingers go back and forth Um, and uh, so we just do bilateral through the music Uh, so that's a similarity Um, but with us the on the therapist side we do the setup 
we get an attunement just as they do, but we really watch the, the client go. Once we find that spot for them or help them find that spot, then we're there to stay in attunement with them, to help encourage them, mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not going outside the window of tolerance, meaning it's just mm-hmm. not getting too much for them. Right. Uh, and we can do some stuff to kind of backtrack on that. But then we allow them that space to do that, and we don't intervene. It's not therapist-led at that point. Gotcha. And so with EMDR, which, again, is a beautiful modality, but it often is therapist-led. And then you have the client, you know, bring in what they want to talk about, and you stop them, and then you have them process that through. And so it just has a big difference once we've jumped into that side. Mm. It also deals with subcortical information. So I struggle with saying one one over the other. And in any brain spotting uh, uh, training I've been in, they always make it loud and clear that that we think they're great. Uh, right. and, and, and so yeah. we definitely want to be on that side. The one thing that just in my limited uh, knowledge in talking to other uh, therapists who are trained in brain spotting and uh, trained in EMDR is that sometimes EMDR uh, can be a little bit too uh, activating for okay. some people. Okay. Uh, so okay. that would be the biggest difference. It's, it sounds like there's a, a cadence difference. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, I guess it sounds like maybe talking, you know, if anyone's like feeling like, oh, this might be something for me, maybe seeking out a brain spotting therapist and an EMDR therapist yeah. um, I, I and talking to yeah. both and yeah. just getting a feel. Totally. That I, I mean, that goes to a whole bigger conversation that I feel like there are, you know, I, a lot of people who are maybe starting to feel like, ooh, maybe I want to explore more yeah. of my inner world. Maybe I want to try to grow out of this pattern maybe i want to stretch myself in a new way or just you know improve my relationship or the way i'm parenting or whatever is showing up for them the the the, that impulse can be there and then there's this sort of like overwhelm of well how do i choose a therapist how do i find the right practitioner for me and you know should it be should it be a therapist should it be a coach should you know what's this guy who's saying he does acupuncture that's like (laughs) brain spotting you know like there's all these possibilities out there especially in a town like boulder yes Yes. um and so what i i I think you know asking around obviously Mm -hmm. googling around is you know going to be helpful but ultimately it's a, it's about the relationship and it's about a match and it's oh, about yeah. a good feeling of like, of this is a person that, you know, and so I would recommend just, again, I'm not trying to, I don't know how I got here. I do know sure. how I got here, sure. but um, difference between EMDR and brain spotting. Yeah. But if, if you're kind of, if you've been wondering or thinking or trying talk to a few different people, yes. talk to a few different yes. practitioners, absolutely t- you know, maybe even a few different modalities yep. and some therapists will offer like a 30 minute, consultation and um you know maybe you can talk to them over the phone but try to vibe it out and don't feel like oh i did one session with them and i have to stick with them um if if it doesn't trust trust your body trust your gut and your intuition and 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 it, it should feel supportive it should feel 
comfortable even if it, the whole thing of therapy is a little uncomfortable but i, I couldn't yeah. agree more and i say that to anybody that reaches out to me right. and i think i have it on my website uh and actually a local brain spotting therapist has a wonderful blog about brain spotting oh cool uh and about how to look for a good therapist her name is jennifer delaney here in boulder cool she's wonderful uh but just as you said it's about fit mm-hmm. because as i tell people the modality might be wonderful but if i don't have a connection with the therapist mm-hmm. when i after i had those uh lost my parents and my sister i went to a couple of therapists and they were nice uh-huh. i just didn't have a connection uh-huh. with them and it was hard for me to say I think I'm going to step back and look for another person, but I did it. Right. And then I found somebody and I connected with them totally. and it was wonderful. So I can't agree more that it's good to call and talk to as many folks as you can feel a connection uh-huh. and then the modality will be that much better right. for you. I remember after it was in college was the first time I went and I went to see the school therapist sure. and they gave you like 12 sessions. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I was like, Hmm, I'm not done here. I, yeah. that wasn't what, you know, <laughs> sure. I, there's still, and so I found somebody else okay. and it, you know, it was again, just who was on insurance and sure. network and, yep. um, and all of a sudden, yeah, stuff just started to open <laughs> up yes. and it was, it was pretty amazing yeah. just to also have that contrast. Totally. And, and so, yeah. And sometimes it's not just a therapist, you know, it's a mm-hmm. therapist and a this person yep. and a shaman and who yep. knows in Boulder. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we kind of have to wrap up here. Great. Is there any last kind of things you'd want to share? If Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I should say I'm on the board of uh, the Rocky Mountain Brain oh, yeah. Spotting Institute. Uh, so that was uh, start, It was the first uh, institute, uh, brain spotting institute in the world, uh, started by Dr. Pi Fry, who's I can't say enough good things about. But basically, uh, we are a very small uh, nonprofit that is around to be able to spread the word of the healing power of brain spotting, uh, to build community around it. And we also uh, raise money through uh, small little fundraisers from time to time. Uh, And we have a directory where people can go Mm. uh, and they're wonderful. They pay a little bit of money and that's a great place to go. So uh, rockymountainbrainspotting.org. If you're interested in trying to find somebody that's local uh, to this, the Colorado area or go to psychology today, they added brain spotting is one of the things you can oh, look cool. at about a year ago. So, but uh, with Rocky Mountain Brain Spotting Institute, uh, we, all of our funds uh, go to a scholarship fund uh, to, for people who have been through trauma, and uh, we try to get them uh, hooked up with a therapist to be able to do brain spotting. Uh, they it's for folks who don't quite qualify for Medicaid, but uh-huh. also don't qualify for insurance. So they're kind of stuck there in the yeah. middle. And again, we're very small, so we don't have a lot of scholarship funds, but as we continue to grow and get known, we're definitely, that's, that's our main mission is to awesome. help people out in that way. So awesome. I, I really appreciate the opportunity Great. to get to talk. About yeah. This and, and how can people find you? Uh, so they could go to my website. So it's a uh, Thad Fry counseling. So T H A D F R Y E counseling. Uh, there's a lot of videos about brain spotting. Um, I've been leaning into doing a lot more sports performance, working with musicians. So there's some information about that as well, but that's, cool. that's the best way to track me down. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and thank you all for listening. Appreciate, um, just your company in here via the virtual connection. That is the podcast world. Um, I, 
all of this information uh, will be the, all the links of anything that we mentioned is going to be on the show notes as always, um, which you could find at heartseedhealth.com slash podcast or um, in your app. Usually they're there too. And if you enjoyed this, please feel free to subscribe and share it with somebody else who might be interested, who might find this useful. Um, that's how we spread the good stuff. And um, my name again is Noah Goldstein, which, and you can find me at Noah at HeartSeedHealth.com. And um, we have a nice little guide for emotional resilience that you can download there, uh, along with lots of other information and blog posts and uh, stuff like that. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Oh, the seeds we sow must break open in order to grow shed their skin allow light to breathe in shed their skin